So hopefully you're not like Randy. Randy was asking, so what are we, what's the sermon on again today? And, uh, and I said, well, we're, we're wrapping up forgiveness. He's like, more forgiveness? Man, how much of this stuff do we need? Then someone who will remain anonymous responded very kind of exasperatedly, an awful lot. All right, well, if you got your manuals, it is page 61, Forgiver, um, our last sermon on forgiveness, but I do want you to turn, oh my goodness, to Romans and not Colossians. Romans chapter 12 and find verse 14. That's where we're going to, that's going to be our, our kind of, I want you to hold on to verse today, Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 14. Uh, so we've been going through forgiveness in our, in our 3D manual as we are continuing in the development of being disciples and forgiveness, as you know, is what I call uh, one of the big three, uh, self-denial, forgiveness, and unity, uh, uh, things that we just really need to focus on in being disciples, probably three of the most difficult things in being a disciple is being a self-denier, being a forgiver, and living, at uni- and living in unity with other people. First two sermons, we've answered a, a couple of questions. Uh, why is forgiveness so important? That was our first, our first sermon, just kind of looking at the overall biblical concept of, of why this is so important. And, and, and the passage I want you to remember is from Matthew chapter 18. And, and this is the end of the parable of the unforgiving servant. And, and just think about the weight of this. It says, and you, and should you not have, talking to the, to the servant who was forgiven so much, his master's talking to him, and said, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. Verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I think that's pretty self-explanatory why forgiveness is so important. (laughs) That the heavenly Father will not forgive us if we're not willing to forgive others from our heart. I'd say that's, yep, that's pretty much number one. Pretty important. The second question we answer is just try to get a good grasp of what forgiveness is. Uh, it's one of those things, it's a word that we, we've said and heard probably all our lives in church. And, and we just kind of studied what that was, how it is just kind of this, this walking away from a justifiable offense. That we have a right to, we've been hurt and we have a right to be upset and want justice for that. But that we, we walk away, we choose to walk away from that. And so the verse that I want you to remember is from Colossians 13, 13. It says, uh, Colossians 3.13, excuse me, bear with one another and forgive any complaint you have against someone else. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And so this is the expectation of all disciples. And so the question today is what are the major obstacles to being a forgiver? I mean, if it's so important, right, and it's so commanded, and it's such an integral part of being a disciple, well, why isn't everybody just a thorough, thorough practicing forgiver? I mean, why, why isn't it like, 
man, those Christians, they're the most forgiving people I've ever come in contact with. Why do we struggle with that, um, with being a forgiver? So what are the obstacles? And that's what we're going to kind of talk about today. But there are a couple of loose ends I need to tie up first. Um, but I want to go to Romans chapter 12 first. Do you have that, Elijah? Okay. All right. So let me read this passage from Romans 12, verses 14 through 21. And I want you to think about, this is a command. This is nearing the end of Romans, right? So they're starting to wrap up the book, and he's giving out some final commands to the church in 12 and 13. And I just want you to think, as we read this, how important being a forgiver would be to doing what we're instructed to do. Starting with verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will prepare, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a really pretty tall order of instructions on what to do, right? You know, live peaceably with everyone, never take vengeance, trust the Lord completely, do good to people who do bad to you, never repay evil for, with evil, but always with good. I mean, that's a pretty tall order. And I would submit to you that if you're not a pretty good forgiver, <laughs> you're never going to do those other things. It's really hard to, to uh, bless those who persecute you if you can't first forgive them. It's really hard to live peaceably with people that you can't forgive. It's really not hard not to take vengeance in your own hands if you can't forgive. It's really hard to do good to people who've done bad to you if you can't forgive. And so forgiveness is really the key to unlocking all those other things that we're supposed to do as disciples. Self-denial and forgiveness, for sure. And, and this passage, we're going to come back, so I want you to hold on to this passage. The, the greatest challenge, I think the greatest challenge to be a forgiver we'll find in this passage, but we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. There are, as I said, a couple of loose ends that I need to tie up first. All right, quiz time. I know you all prepared this week. So anybody can tell us the threefold commitment to forgiveness. That's not good. We got a lot of blank stares. All right. So when we forgive, there's a commitment we make. There's actually three commitments. I commit not to bring it up to the offender. I commit not to bring it up to others, right? And I commit not to bring it up to myself. 
right? That, that I'm not going to talk about the offense with the offender. I'm not going to talk about the offense with others. That's gossiping and venting. And I'm not going to talk about it with myself. I'm not going to dwell on it myself, right? I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to walk away from it. Well, I, the first thing I need to tie up is there is an exception to the first one, to bring it up to the offender. There is an exception when you can go to the offender and talk to them. And it's called admonishment and reconciliation. Because sometimes living in the body, especially in the body of Christ, right? We hurt one another. We get hurt by one another, right? And we need to address that. And, and we need to correct that. We need to deal with the pain. We need to face it head on, right? And so we do need to be reconciled with one another. We need to work on uh, bringing our relationship live peaceably and be right with one another. And so I won't bring it up to the offender unless admonishment and reconciliation or restoration, depending on how you want to phrase that, is my goal. Then I need to go talk to them and say, look, we need to get some stuff we need to get right with one another, right? And the Bible gives us that kind of idea. In, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Can I just say, if the Christian church would do that one simple thing, when somebody hurts your feelings, go talk to them alone and work it out between the two of you. The, the number of churches would be cut in half. Because the reason there's so many churches is because people didn't go get right with their brother. And instead of getting right with their brother, they started another church. Right? They split. That's why churches split. Because people don't go and talk to one another. That one simple thing. Right? And it's funny. And I do hear this stuff. Like, And I'll hear through the grapevine, somebody's upset with me. <laughs> I know that's hard to believe. It happens. It's okay. I understand. I can be hard to get along with, right? It's part of the mantle I wear. And some people, and then it comes, did you know? They come back around. And I'm like, why don't they just come talk to me? Let's just talk. I hear, the, I hear them talking about other people. Well, go talk to them. Simple instructions about how to have peace within a church. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If that's the one thing you take away today, and that's the one thing we did, it would change the world. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother back, right? And so there is an exception to rule number one that sometimes we need to have reconciliation. We need to deal with the, we need to deal with the hurt. We need to go get right with one another. That's instructed by, by uh, the scriptures, but I want you to notice that I said admonishment and reconciliation. Because some people really like the admonishment part. They like to go and tell people what they did wrong. Right? Let me tell you what you did wrong. Never, never attempt to admonish if your goal isn't reconciliation. You should never go point someone else's fault if your very next breath isn't I want to be right with you. I want our relationship better. 
My ultimate goal is for me and you to be best friends. I want reconciliation. I want to be right with one another. And so that the love of God is shown between us. And so it's always got to be admonishment with the goal of reconciliation. And it does take two people to reconcile. We both have to work through this. So that's one exception I didn't want to talk about last week. That's one loose end I needed to tie up so that you understand that there are times when we need to go and address one another and deal with stuff, right? The other loose end I haven't talked about before we get on to the challenge, move on to the challenge, is the results of forgiveness. This is, this is the carrot on the end of the stick. Because so far, we have talked about forgiveness as being obedient to God. We've talked about it as showing love to God. And it is those things. And we should, and that should be enough. Just being obedient to God should be enough. But I've learned something, I think, over the years about God is that the things that God asks us to do or commands us to do is always for our good. It's always for our betterment. It's always so that we have a more abundant, more fulfilled life. And so if God's asking us to forgive or commanding us to forgive or expecting us to forgive, I want you to realize there's a good result for that. And the result of forgiveness is freedom. It's freedom. John 8 Jesus says this in John 8, 34 and 36. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. That God came for us to have freedom from sin. And that freedom from sin is forgiveness. That God forgave us. He's forgiven us from the penalty of sin. We don't have to go to hell. He's forgiven us from the power of sin. So that we don't have to sin anymore. We can choose to live righteous lives. He's freed us. And when we hold on to the sins of other people, that's unforgiveness. People sin against us. And we hold on to that. We're holding on to the very thing that Jesus set us free from. We're grabbing up sin and like, oh, I want to hold it. No, God has set us free from sin, from its power, from its, uh, from its presence, or we're living the presence of He's fed it from the penalty and the power of sin. So why are we going and snatching up the very thing Jesus died to free us from? That's unforgiveness. We're holding on to sin because people have sinned against us and we want to hold it. And we are free from that. We don't have to live with it anymore we can walk away from it and so there's a there's a good book this is a this is going to be in our resource center you're going to say resource center i didn't know we had a resource center we got a resource center now it used to be called the library we're going to call it the resource center now all right look just like that bam we have a resource center There'll be several copies of this book in the next week or so called The Bait of Satan. Entire book about the idea of how offense is like bait on a trap. And Satan uses that bait to trap us in unforgiveness. And Jesus died to set us free from that trap that would hold us and lock us away. And so... When, and, and, the, and if you're asking what's the difference between a resource center and a library, in a library, you would go check this book out, right? You'd have two weeks to read it, and you would return it. If you don't return it, Debbie would be calling you, 
Just so you know, if you don't get it in by next week, there will be a fine put on your church account. Right? And you have to pay the fine or bring the book back. Resource Center is, I want you to take the book. There'll be a couple of them. Read it and then go offer it to somebody else and say, hey, this book really impacted my life. It just really helped me understand things. I just want to give it to you. Maybe you want to read it and pass it along. Resource Center, it should never come back. It should go from hand to hand to hand to hand as we encourage other people and share our faith with other people. So that's kind of the difference between the two. That'll be there. Maybe you're a visual learner like me. And here's what I want you to understand. When we live in unforgiveness, when we, when we don't practice forgiveness, you know, we, we deceive ourselves. We like, I got you trapped. I got you right where I want you, you know. And, and we think we, we lock people away behind these bars of unforgiveness, you know. And, and like, they, they're, just, they're just trapped and they can't go anywhere. And, and because we're so close to the offense, because we're so enamored with it, because we talk about it within our heads all the time and we're thinking about it. And we're just like, ha, 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 I got you right where I want you. You're locked away. But the truth of the matter, when we're unforgiveness, it's the unforgiver who's trapped. Often the offender is oblivious to it, doesn't care, you know, uh, in a lot of cases. And they're out living life. And because all we can do is we let it sit there and think and we hold on to it and we think about it and we, we remember how bad we were hurt, we get locked away. And Jesus died our freedom and our, and our forgiveness sets us free so that we can get out of that cage and go on living life. One of the, the strangest things I've ever seen, and you know I worked with some, with some challenged kids, is uh, they, they struggle with forgiveness, and they've been really, really abused and really, really hurt. But they would get so stuck that you would sometimes have an 18-year-old who functioned like a 12-year-old. Because that's when the offense occurred. And they would literally get stuck in life because they weren't able to move past those traumatic experiences. And so it was really important for us to work through forgiveness with them so that they could get unstuck and move on with life. Um, and so that happens to us spiritually too. And so that is the results of forgiveness. All right, so I, I briefly want to go over some of the challenges to being a forgiver. So if it's so important, if it's so freeing, if it's so wonderful, why aren't we all forgivers? Well, there's a couple of challenges. Number one, the first challenge is we believe forgiveness is permission giving. Like, we, we, we'll say things in our heads like, well, if I don't hold them accountable, nobody will. You know, what they did wrong, they, they need to answer for what they did, and, and it's my job to to, to hold them accountable until they own up to it, till they ask for forgiveness, till they deal with it, till they come back, you know. And, and, we, and, and we feel like if we just say it's forgiven, we're just giving them permission to do it again and again and again and again. And, and, and that, that, that we just, we don't stop this. They're just going to keep doing it again and again. Christians struggled with the same question. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin 
so that grace may abound? Are, are, are we supposed to keep, you know, just because God is gracious and God is forgiving, are we to continue sinning? No, we're not supposed to do that. But that doesn't change God's grace and his forgiveness. It's continual. He keeps doing it every time you and I mess up. God never gives us permission to sin, but he always gives us grace and forgiveness. And so if you are somehow thinking, well, if I just let them do it, they'll just keep doing it. Well, they might. And we just keep forgiving because that's what we're called to do. It doesn't make it right. And ultimately, we're not the judge to handle that. The second challenge is uh, the belief that forgiveness requires reconciliation. Now, I talked a lot about reconciliation and admonishment. And, and we are supposed to admonish and reconcile. And I would say most of the time, most often, God wants us to reconcile no matter what. That's usually God's number one goal is for us to live reconciled. That should always be our first thing. But I want you to understand this. There are some extreme circumstances. And there's probably some people here today who've experienced these extreme circumstances. And so that's why I want to talk about this. I'm talking really bad. Think physical abuse. Real bad situations, right? Uh, perpetrated on people by other people, okay? In those cases, forgiveness is needed. And if you're a Christian, it's still required. But how can we say people will struggle with that because, you know, so-and-so, my father, my uncle, this person, whoever it is, did this horrible, nasty, terrible thing to me. And you want me to forgive and act like nothing ever happened? No, I want you to forgive. And in those cases, I don't think reconciliation, a, a harmonious relationship is required again. That person needs to forgive, own the, the hurt, own the justice of it, walk away and forgive. But that doesn't mean they strike up a conversation, they strike up a relationship, they continue to live in the presence of that other person uh, like nothing ever happened. There are those kind of situations where reconciliation is not wise. And those are usually the exceptions, but I know there's enough abuse and enough hurt and enough trauma, really traumatic experiences in this world that Christians often struggle with, does that mean I've got to reconcile with that person? No. You can forgive and not reconcile. But we must always remember that most cases, most things don't reach that level, and reconciliation is God's usual goal. But if you're one of those who struggle with it, thinking like, I can't have a relationship with that person anymore, I don't know that you're required to have a harmonious relationship in those circumstances. And so you need to know that. One of the other challenges is that people sometimes think forgiveness is a feeling instead of an act of the will, right? If you're waiting to feel like forgiving someone, well, Christmas is coming soon. Because you're never going to feel like it. Remember, there's a real hurt. There's a real justifiable sin against you. You have been wronged. It's a real thing. 
right? You have a justifiable right for, for justice, for a cry for justice. That's hard to feel, <laughs> like, oh, you want to give that up. So forgiveness is really a choice. It's an act of the will. It's a, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make those commitments. And when I struggle with those commitments and when it pops back in my mind, I'm going to intentionally remind myself, I've made a decision not to think about that. And it's an act of the will. It really, forgiveness is initiated by the forgiver. Too often, we deceive ourselves and we think this way. We believe that if they'll just come and ask for forgiveness, I'll feel like giving it to them. If you're, again, if you're waiting to forgive till somebody asks for it, that's not what we're called for. We're called to forgive. We're supposed to initiate forgiveness. We exercise our volitional will, whether we feel like it or not. We choose to obey God, trusting in him. It's an act of faith, uh, might be another way of saying it. Another challenge is having an inaccurate evaluation of our own sin. When we don't, because the, the command is, right, to forgive as you've been forgiven. In that, in that uh, parable of the unforgiving servant, uh, the, the amount that the unforgiving servant owed to his master, some commentaries say that he could have never paid that much back, that it was more than the sum of a lifetime of wages, right? It was more than he would earn in his entire life. What the, his fellow servant owed him, some commentators say it was about a week's pay, about the, the wages for a, a single week. And so, and he was like, you owe me this little bit. And he forgot, he, he underestimated how much he had been forgiven. And so when we don't accurately evaluate our own sin, when then we don't really understand how much forgiveness we've been forgiven, it makes it difficult to forgive others. And really, you got to think about this. If I don't forgive others, what I'm saying is, you've done me wronger I know that ain't a word, but I like it. You've done me wronger than I've wronged God. What I owe God is less than what you owe me. You're putting yourself above God. And you're putting the pain and your own, your own pain and what's owed you. That's more important than what I've owed God if you inaccurately evaluate your own sin. And what we must understand is a sin against a perfect Pure, righteous, holy God, an infinitely pure, righteous, holy being deserves infinite punishment, right? What's done to me is a drop in the ocean compared to what I've done against God. And if I use that as my barometer, it certainly makes me a whole lot more willing to put up with a lot of other stuff. Even some of the worst things that could happen to us is nothing compared to what we've done against an infinitely holy and righteous God. And so we've always got to have that accurate evaluation of our own sin to understand what we've been forgiven so that we can forgive likewise. And if you don't have that accurate, then it makes it a challenge to forgive. And finally, and now this we're back to Romans chapter 12. If you held your finger there, I told you we'd get here. Probably the biggest, maybe the biggest struggle to being a forgiver is we actually struggle to trust God's 
justice. I mean, at the end of the day, do you trust God or don't you? Do you believe his promises or don't you? Because look back here in 12, uh, Romans 12, um, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so at the end of the day, when we forgive others, we're saying, I trust God to take care of that. Do you think God, and see, see, it comes down, God doesn't know how bad I've been wronged by other people. And so I've got to take care of it myself. God's not really fair and just. And so I'm going to handle it myself. I'm going to be unforgiving. I'm going to demand my pound of flesh back. But when we choose to forgive, we're saying, okay, God, I trust that you're aware of this. And I trust you're going to handle it. I'm going to leave it to you to do what's right. Because only God can actually judge what is right and wrong. And so probably the biggest challenge to being a forgiver is really trusting God to handle it. Trusting God to do what's just and right. And that we, in our forgiveness, we put ourselves under God and say, You do what's right, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you room. (laughs) Leave room for the Lord. And I've used this little illustration, like this walk away, right? So there's the hurt. I'm going to walk away from it. What am I doing? I'm putting space between me and the hurt. That's God's space. You fill that space. I'm going to make room for you. Leave room. Here's the bottom line, bottom, bottom line of forgiveness. When we stop needing God's forgiveness, we can stop being forgivers. When we stop needing God's forgiveness, then we can stop being forgivers. So if you wake up every morning or once a week, you evaluate yourself and you say, man, I need some forgiveness for God, then you're called to be a forgiver And when you can get to say, I don't need no more. I got all the forgiveness I need from you, God. Appreciate it. Then you can stop being a forgiver yourself. It's a pretty bold claim. So active discipleship. Scott's going to come. Elaine's going to come and play. Scott's going to come lead us in a couple of songs. There's a verse I want you to see. We've been talking about active discipleship, about actually doing things. And you know, I don't do this often. I struggled. I was, I was, is this one of those times when we do this? Well, in a minute, you're going to stand and you're going to sing. And for a lot of people, singing is like a prayer to God. You're singing, you're talking to God, which is prayer. It should be. I think singing should be considered a prayer in a lot of cases. Some of you may pray. At the end of this, Scott's going to lead us in a prayer. And we're all going to say, he's gonna, you know how he's going to end it? And then God's people said, and we all say amen. So you're going to be praying, right? You should be praying in those moments too, not just listening to Scott. There's a verse. We're, going to, we're just going to actively do what one verse says. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you 
and your trespasses. So as they come, you guys can go ahead and come on up. As they come, I want you to start thinking about forgiveness you need to give. Start off, people who've hurt you, things that have been wrong, you've been wronged against. And I'm going to ask you, if you want to, if this would help you, come down front, kneel on our prayer steps here, and pray and forgive. Make the commitment. I'm not going to bring this up to them unless you're trying to reconcile with them and make the relationship right. You're not going to bring it up to others ever again. You're not going to dwell on it yourself. And take that, and maybe symbolically for you, it's like, I'm going to bring it down here. I'm going to put it on that step. And when I get up and walk out this church, that's where it's going to stay. And I'm going to give, Scott, I'm going to give God the space to do what's right. So I'm just going to ask you, practice forgiveness today. As you stand and sing, if you need to sit down and pray, if you need to stand up and pray, if you need to come down in front and pray, that you name names, call out hurts, call out pains, and choose not to remember it anymore. Because you came here today forgiven by God. Now let us go and forgive others.